Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of visual storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Aaron Cruz. Aaron is an award-winning event producer, experienced catalyst, and thought leader with 10 years hosting over 300,000 patrons and over 3,500 performers hailing from 80 countries in Asheville, North Carolina. Since COVID, he's shifted gears following his original passion of psychedelics, of which he's an advocate and used sacramentally for personal, professional, and spiritual growth for over 13 years. Today, he'll be sharing a bit of what inspired such a potent shift in his journey and why he's chosen psychedelic coaching for now. Thank you so much for joining me today, Aaron, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Pacifico. It's, an, it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Oh, pleasure to have you. So take me back. What first led you into the world of event producing? Well, it's funny enough, event producing and psychedelics both kind of struck me at the same time. Uh, I was... Uh, uh, originally, I, I had attended a few festivals in mid-2000s, but in 2008, uh, I had gone to a music festival up in Chicago known as Summer Camp, uh, and uh, I had a really, really powerful, uh, nothing short of a transcendental experience through the uh, entheogenic of uh, LSD. Uh, I had uh, gone to a show. I was in a per- particularly in a place of kind of like a, a depressed state. I was a uh, approaching the end of a master's degree, but I was really feeling stifled in that space and uh, really feeling like I'd lead it to a shift directions, but just had no course of where to go. I remember right before I left, uh, I had I turned in my thesis and my mentor had said to me, you know what, Aaron, um, you know what, there's too much of your own opinion. There's too many of your own thoughts in this thesis. And I was just completely blown away. I was like, you know, of, of course there is. This is my insights. This is my findings. And he's like, well, no, you know what? You, you could tell me what you think when you have your master's degree. And uh, so I left I left with that kind of bitter taste in my mouth. And I approached that music festival experience. I mean, it was beautiful. So many different walks of life. So many different people coming together. And I'd taken a really strong dose of LSD. And I'd gone into uh, one particular show. 
And what ensued was what I can only describe as a complete cessation of individual consciousness. I had merged with universal monad, logos, whatever you'd like to call that expression. I was no longer Aaron. I was part of this infinite um, boundless space of consciousness. Uh, I did have uh, a feeling of all pervasive love and acceptance with it. Um, yet it was one of the most blissful, blissful and absolutely terrifying experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, on the, on the far end of that, I, I kind of came to, uh, by the end of the evening, apparently I was as big a spectacle as the stage was at about a thousand people surrounding me, looking at me in the middle there. And, uh, I kind of uh, got ushered off with my girlfriend, then now wife. Uh, and, uh, all I could think of kind of on the back end of that particular experience is one, um, I would love to create creative containers that allow for that type of creative community to come together and join in celebration of, of culture and one another. Two, I had to leave that master's degree, although I was a, really a first generation college uh, graduate and, you know, I was really the, the champion uh, scholar for my entire family. No one had ever even graduated four years of school, so had to make that really difficult decision, although there's a lot of pressure in that space. And, uh, and three, I had to figure out what the hell is going on with myself at that time. I'd never heard of anybody having that type of experience. And either I was going completely insane or I had tapped into something that is so deep and potent and perhaps forgotten by mainstream culture that I needed to do a lot of work uh, finding my way. So, uh, so psychedelics became kind of like a catalyst for my own inner discovery at that time. Uh, although it really uh, finding spiritual practice, which for me is meditative and ceremonial Kabbalah, uh, ancient mystic Jewish practice, uh, and and also creating containers where people can find creativity and liberation of self, uh, all became really important to me from that from that one catalytic experience. Wow, sounds like uh, quite the the public ego death you had there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it absolutely was, and uh, and from what I experienced, from what I was being told by my wife, uh, you know, who had taken not quite so much of a heroic dose as I did, <laughs> uh, I must say, but she was tapped in. You know, that people were in ecstasis. It was something that was powerful. Something was happening so profound. People were crying. People were cheering, yelling. Some were going to get help. Some were like sitting around me as if. You know, I had the good news. I mean, it was it was a whole <laughs> spectacle, full spectacle going on out there for sure. Wow. <laughs> I mean, especially with something like, you know, a large music festival, it's usually hard for an individual to draw that kind of attention to themselves, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Usually, you know, there's plenty of fairies out of there, plenty of glow sticks to be had. You know, I was, I was something unique, I must say for sure. <laughs> that is wild. That is yeah. wild. And so then take me from there into your journey, like into actually working with psychedelics. Sure. Um, so from that point, um, I really had become devoted to integration pathways. You know, for me, I realized uh, on the back end of that, um, you know, people are having these huge experiences, especially in those types of uh, counterculture environments or transformative environments, whatever you want to call them, you know, just having your psilocybin mushrooms, LSD or MDMA or Molly, uh, and then going off and seeing shows. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, almost status quo in those spaces. But what ends up happening is that people end up quickly moving from the revelry or, or you know, just pure fun dynamic to something that's deeper, something that's really potent and important. You know, past traumas are coming up, you know, repressed memories are coming forward, uh, insights into the living, breathing world around you and how we are like stewards of the space come up. There's so much depth. Uh, yet, you know, you go back home to your regular nine to five or, you know, back to your life and 
if there's no integration for some of these tr like really powerful transformative experiences, well, then they kind of wisp away as dreams, you know? So for me, it was so impactful in my life. It created such a dynamic pivot that I really wanted to learn, you know, different maps and pathways to integrate that. So psychedelics became for me uh, a very intentional ceremonial sacrament for less of a better term that I would utilize over, you know, a, a period of a few, few months uh, for many years. And, uh, and at first, you know, using it for my own cultivation and practice and, and learning and growth uh, and got me deep into Kabbalah and, and learning of sacred names and mantra and, and ways to create mindfulness in my own life and perceive things in a, in a kind of interconnected way. And then I started kind of facilitating community, personal growth, healing, and also pathways to developing more integration protocols. And then finding a way now that that bridges together with leadership empowerment, you know, so people feel like they have not only tools to grow in themselves, but tools that they can now share uh, with others that are, you know, clients, family, community members uh, that can help to grow more compassion, learning more, more um, soft skills like uh, emotional intelligence, intuition, somatic body awareness. Uh, these things are so important for, for just learning how to live and correlate with people in a really empathic way. So that's what that practice has led me to over time. And now with the renaissance of psychedelics taking flight all over, uh, I'm kind of coming out of the closet, so to speak. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready for a third wave psychedelic coaching certification that starts next week and um, really now amplifying my coaching practice to share with people the real benefits now. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, the, the coaching aspect of this. Is it mostly sitting? Is it just talking to people while they're on things before they try things after they've done things? Well, the coaching dynamic actually embodies a full protocol. You know, I'm I'm all for what I consider to be rites of passage through plant medicines. You know, mm -hmm. they they can be used in various different ways. You know, for personal insight. Yet, if it's taken as an experience that is truly transformative and that you build up to with a sense of intention, uh, it can really have an entirely different transformative effect. So, my coaching method really is actually backing up and taking someone several weeks before they consider going on to a journey and first i would evaluate whether or not you know they are in a space of mental fitness uh that coaching is actually aligned for them you know for people that are suffering from uh, ptsd or depression addiction um or, or other really uh, difficult or debilitating mental health conditions, then I would actually refer them to more of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, which is a much more um, closely contained container um, where people would work with a therapist and work through a lot of the uh, type of work to like trauma healing work that is really important to to get a solid foundation of before you put yourself into an expanded state of consciousness. Uh, for myself, although, you know, I will be dealing with people where almost everybody has some degree of trauma, but if there's no clinical diagnosis and it's mostly someone that's on a path of personal and uh, spiritual growth or, or community growth, uh, then I would be really apt to taking them on a coaching protocol. And how that works is, you know, preparation starts several weeks before. There'd be uh, recommendations for shifts in diet, detoxing of the body, uh, learning of certain 
basic mindful practices if they don't have tools such as breathing techniques, contemplation techniques, different types of writing, what's what's important to them, what holds deep value for their soul, what are they hoping to get rid of and let go, what patterns they no longer need or limitations that they no longer need and and take that step by step over several weeks, you know, even the week before, um, no alcohol, no cannabis, you know, no using of sexual energy, no ag- agitation, you know, the prana, the life force energy is actually very powerful in a ceremony if you are with a full tank, so to speak. Uh, So, you know, going into that space really mindfully, really preparedly, and then the ceremony itself, going into that uh, peak ceremony itself becomes a real rites of passage. It's something that you've earned, that you've really been focusing on to cross through a threshold. Uh, It can be very powerful for the body. And then on the back end of that, also several weeks of integration. You know, it, it, how do you go back from, you know, becoming a star or like living as, a, as an aspect of the ocean to, uh, you know, work on Monday morning and seeing Joan at the <laughs> you know, so, so really focusing on why are those gems important? How do we bring those back home to your life? And then what is your path now? Like what's your trajectory now with that new, new landscape? Yeah, I love your use of the word containers. It reminds me, I had a friend named uh, Lana Elko on the show a few weeks back. She's a a sort of relationship uh, coach, sex coach, does tantra, all all sorts of relationship related things like that. And she talks about relationship containers. And she kind of says that, you know, for basically hundreds of years, like the the primary container has been marriage and that it's a, you know, just sort of a one size fits all, like shove everyone into the same box. Hmm. And so she's sort of helping people reimagine uh, the different ways that they can create a new container for a relationship where you only need certain things from one type of relationship that you don't have to put it all on a spouse as most people do, right? Like your spouse doesn't have to be your best friend. It's cool if they are. They don't have to be your therapist. It's better if they're not. Uh, right. But <laughs> yeah, so many people, it's just kind of like, oh, you got married, you're going to be with this person for 50 years. And so put everything on them. Um, and so oh, yeah. it's really interesting hearing, yeah, talking about event containers, because it, it kind of feels like the same concept in a way of just like, all right, I'm actually reading, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, The Art of Gathering. Um, no, no, oh, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. highly recommend it. I think you'd love it. And it's, it's all about being intentional about the way that you create gatherings and events both online and in person right and it it talks about how even events that have like highly restrictive rules right like oh you got to show up at a certain time you got to wear a certain thing get to act a certain way maybe or you know like not say your last name or wear a mask or whatever it might be um is actually really freeing because it kind of turns you know normal society on its head that you know whether it's like you know polite manners of high society or whatever you know kind of pulls that stuffiness out and it says like hey we're just going to be fun and do these things for the night and it's like kind of suspending your disbelief and just jumping full bore into something where you're making a community um that I think it is really powerful because then you know she talks about events where you know say maybe you have a two-day event and you know maybe somebody important can't make it the first day and they'll just be like i'll just come the second day and the problem is that on the first day there's like a lot of transformational like bonding that goes on and you know especially if you're talking about like events with psychedelics and stuff and it's like if everyone does ayahuasca the first night and then Greg shows up on, you know, the next morning is like, hey, everyone, hey, bro. everyone's like, uh, not feeling the vibe, dude. Right. So it's like it's yeah. actually better to like 
properly include and exclude people and have like rules that are set up in place to sort of take a lot of the weight and the pressure off of things even though from the outside people might think like oh like what's all this like this seems like really restrictive like i don't want to give up my cell phone right but it's like well no you actually that means you actually need to give up your cell phone right because right. you want to be more present and stuff and it's like you don't want to go to an ayahuasca ceremony and everyone's just like checking their Twitter feed or Instagram or something like that. Right. You want everyone to actually be there and engaging in the moment and and have that full presence of mind. Yeah. Oh man, that, that, that definitely sounds like a book I'm all about there. Uh, And that makes a really excellent point. I mean, when you're creating an intentional container, you know, whether it be for psychedelics or for a transformative gathering, you know, you're really trying to impress upon people, uh, some deeper virtue, some deeper experience that, you know, is, is almost ineffable that can only be created through the synergy of the gathering when they get together. But you put those parameters in place to allow for them to at least feel uh, a sense that they are stepping into this space with a very a distinct intention. They, they have an opportunity to engage in something very special and it's a co-creative process. You know, when I was doing um, world music festivals for years, you know, that you had described earlier, um, you know, I would theme each one very differently. You know, one of my, my greatest uh, ones that I feel like uh, we were, we created was, you know, Ignite and Inspire Festival. And it was really designed to allow people to see different expressions of really potent uh, actually feminine performers from all around the world, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, er- everything from Ani DeFranco to um, uh, Mar- um, uh, what is Toloach, uh, the, the awesome um, Grammy award winning um, uh, Mexica band that uh, plays traditional uh, Mexican music and, you know, people from all, uh, India, RE, uh, people from all different cultures, but it was different reflections of what does empowerment look like with, with in the feminine dynamic and how do you release and surrender that this is a matriarchal festival, you know, which is very uncommon. Uh, so it, it created a really interesting dynamic. And some people were like, you know, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, I'm all for feminists, but, you know, where's the rock? Where's the this? Where's that? It's like, hey, you know, there's many spaces. In fact, you go to most festivals and you'll find exactly what you're looking for right here. We're looking mm-hmm. to learn and grow from feminine example and empowerment. So we had a lot of discussions over the weekend and a lot of different cultures. One of the beautiful things I used to do is have at least 15 different nations at each event. Uh, so you would see this chemistry that would be created when you have African drummers and, you know, Costa Rican dancers together on the same stage. And there's this unspoken language that would create these containers of, of that would transcend what expectation would have. And it would create this catharsis of opening that was really beautiful, really beautiful to encounter. And I, and I, so I really deeply appreciate that insight that the container is important. It's exclusionary, for the purpose of, of of really trying to crystallize an intention. And if someone doesn't want to come into that space, then, you know, you welcome them to other other spaces. But if they're open, absolutely, you know, then then this is for you and this is a place of exploration and growth. Oh, totally. I totally agree. And, you know, it, it is bring that intention and, and a lot of it, too, especially with like smaller gatherings, right? Even, you know, like a dinner party at your house or something. Uh, <laughs> there's there's such an important on actually taking the reins as a host, Right. You know, a lot of people be like, oh, I'm going to throw this party or do this or that. And then like, I just want to be chill. I'm the chill host. Right. Like, I want to be cool. And it's like, well, actually, like if you take a back seat, then 
that like there is still power that exists right and so <laughs> right, right. that's what people don't exist is that people don't understand is that you actually create a power vacuum when you do that and you actually need to be the host and there's there's an interesting story in the book of uh professor i forget if he's like the harvard kennedy school or something and essentially the first day of every class every semester he would just go up and sit in the front of the classroom in a chair and just like kind of look down at the floor just like bored and like all the students would like file in the room and then you know eight o'clock would come or whenever the class started and he just wouldn't say a word and everyone just you know then they'd be kind of like nervous laughter and like a little chatter and then like five minutes people start kind of just like is he gonna do anything you know and they're just like they keep going on and on and on and what they're experiencing and it's like a class in like in, in leadership right and yeah. so then eventually he's just like hello welcome to the class and he's like what just happened like what did you just experience and he's like did you understand that like the power dynamic in a classroom is always pretty much always like you know 100 with the teacher but here he's like he gave it all up but it didn't make the power not exist right and then everyone right. there is sitting and they're uncomfortable in that power vacuum and no one's just like oh hey like let's leave or hey dude what are you doing like everyone just kind of had all these weird reactions and no one could kind of get outside themselves to figure things out and the same kind of thing can happen to your you know even a dinner party or a concert or, or whatever depending on the size of like if you don't have someone like leading the way and leading the charge which you know in a smaller gathering should definitely be whoever is hosting, um, then you're really actually encouraging everyone to have a worse time, right? Because, you know, right. especially in, you know, imagine you have something where like everyone knows each other or you think like everyone loosely knows each other. But if you don't actually like make introductions and stuff, then that can be kind of stifling as well. And you may think it's awkward to like introduce people who might already know each other, but it's like, it doesn't take much to be like, oh, hey, you know, so-and-so and you do this and that, that, you know, and it just breaks that ice for other people. And, it, and really what you're doing is a service because being a host is just an act of service and mm -hmm. enabling different really cool things to happen. And if you don't set those tones, um, you know, and, and continue to guide things throughout the night, then it's not going to end up being what you want, right? Like being the chill host, like there's, it's really not the way to take things because it's just not going to end up like you might have planned. And the next morning you're going to be filled with regret, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this goes across the board too, Pacifico, because you, you look at a lot of our contemporary culture. One of the biggest challenges people have is empowering themselves to step forward when it's necessary, when it's needed, when that void of power is open and there's not a direct leadership stepping forward and kind of uh, honoring that space and, and taking, um, I don't want to say taking control, but stepping into it and allowing uh, some semblance of structure or movement to occur that allows people to then freely express themselves or feel comfortable that they're at least guided in that space uh with with you know someone that's willing to embody that role you know if you don't if you don't step into that power that power is automatically taken from you and we're we're dealing with almost a crisis on our hands of people that will step back allow others to make decisions for them in perpetuity you know they could be miserable at their job day to day um but they won't speak up because they feel like there's a certain decorum or or they're 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 afraid of what it would implicate. Would they get in trouble? Would they have some kind of backlash? Would they be known as the black sheep or whatever it is? You know, there's there's people that go through daily experiences, uh, whether that be, um, you know, abusive relationships or uh, people that are, you know, friends that are exploiting their good nature, all these things because 
you know, stepping up and being empowered to share your message from a place of purpose is, is just not something that's very well championed in contemporary society unless you get deeper upon a personal path of mindfulness or a path of leadership or, you know, you have that natural aptitude uh, to grow. But it's something so critical. And that's part of my coaching as well is to, you know, it's it, sometimes it's hard to feel empowered if you don't know who you are or what you stand for. So that's the first process is, you know, distilling what what brings the most deep purpose to you and who you are. What makes your fire glow? Is it something that you've experienced long past? Is it something that's a faith base that's beyond the scope of explanation or something that drives that space? And then you figure out, well, how do you then use that as a catalyst to ignite your willingness to step forward and be a change agent in your life and be empowered to have impact around you and take those risks, you know, because you're not going to successfully guide everyone every time and you're not going to be, you know, the champion for all righteousness every time you're going to fall on your face. You're going to be, you know, saying the wrong things from time to time and, and miss cue and that stuff happens. But because you're grounded in something deeper, you're willing to take those risks because you're willing to bring people together and share in that experience of growth um, as it's, it's, it's much bigger than you, but someone's got to step into that plate. You know, someone's got to make the move first. Oh, I totally agree. And, you know, there is such also a huge responsibility on, you know, setting that tone and then even setting the space, right? And you wouldn't really want to run an ayahuasca ceremony in like a Citibank branch, right? And not, <laughs> yeah, that, they, not that they would let you. I mean, maybe <laughs> some anti-capitalist anarchist ayahuasca lovers might enjoy that or something. But, um, <laughs> you know, in general, it's, it's really all about are you setting the right tone, you know, right. for the event you're having and the space can be so important. And and even the size of the space, not even just the vibe, right? Like if you have, if you're gathering 20 people and you have a hundred thousand square foot warehouse you're in, like that party's going to suck no matter how cool the people are, because it's just like, oh, like this is really empty. Right. And so it's, you want to, there's, you know, they actually have formulas for like, okay, you want this amount of square feet per person. If you want this type of vibe, right. If you want uh -huh. everything really hot, you know, if you want it kind of loose and like free flowing and, and, you know, and, and so there's actually like best practices around all this stuff. And it even works, you know, in the festival space. Right. I mean, I remember going to like EDC when they still had it in the Coliseum back, uh, back at USC was like, mm -hmm. I think that was like 2007 was one of the last years, like Paul Oakenfold headlined and, you know, I mean, I went to Notre Dame, so it was like absolutely incredible, like partying and at a being at a rave, like in a football stadium <laughs> wow. of a major rival. And I was like, oh, man, Notre Dame would never let us do this in a million years. Right. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, they've got all of the, the different like smaller stages, like sort of surrounding the Coliseum um, that have like more intimate environments. And then you basically have the entire stadium is filled, you know, is is meant for the main stage. And then they've got, you know, carnival rides to kind of like fill it in. So you got like one one half of the field is like a zipper and like, you know, carnival swings and stuff like that. And then the <laughs> other side is like the main stage. You got people in the stands. And so just trying to, you know, for all sizes of events, just trying to meet it so that it's not just um, giving people the wrong sense of like intimacy or, or lack of intimacy. Right. Cause you yeah. want to really meet, meet the moment for people. And, and it is such a huge hosting is such a huge responsibility that I think a lot of people, especially at lower levels, you know, really take for granted. Cause I think 
when you're putting on a large event, just the magnitude of it makes people just generally take it seriously unless you're running the fire festival and you're just a scam artist, right? Uh, but in general, those people running large stuff, they want to meet the moment. But when you're just having a dinner party for 12 friends or something, you're just like, okay, like now I can just, I sent out the invitations and I got the food and it's a potluck and now I can just sit back and relax. And it's like, no, you have a job to do. Like you need to steer this and, and help people have a good time. That is your duty, right? It's, it's not to be made for themselves. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that goes back to, I mean, it's so cross applicable, but it really goes about set and setting to bring it back to that old uh, Timothy Leary maxim, where really it's, it's about two things. It's about the mindset you bring into a space. You know, how are you preparing to step into that space so that you're being of greatest, you know, agency for the goal of that particular evening, whether it's a dinner party, whether it's a small retreat space, whether it's a festival that you're gathering, you know, an event, you know, what is the mindset that you have to be a catalyst of some form of, of change, of creativity and experience, you know, but then the setting, I mean, how that space is curate, curated, you know, what the components are of that space that allows for maximum comfort and immersion, you know, for my festivals, it was always like, if everybody doesn't feel safe, welcomed, accounted for and comfortable, then all the other creative shit is just fluff. You know, because because people are, are going to be agitated, you know, that people are going to feel like, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to go back to my tent and it's still going to be there because it's crazy on my on my on my row. Or, you know, I don't know, like where where I'm going to park. I don't know where the Porter Johns are, like all those things. It seems like, you know, a lot of people have more emphasis on entertainment, but like it's no, it's the site operations. It's the grounding that matters oh, yeah. a lot. Like, hey, I want to arrive there and I want to feel like I am really comfortable. I'm good. I'm taking care of. They actually care about my well-being. Then I'm relaxed and then I'm open. And once you're open, then the other dynamics of the setting, the installations, the parade that's going to come by, the glowing jugglers, the stage that has like 12 performers with brass, you know, that then you're ready to blow minds because everybody's comfortable. They're feeling celebrated. And now that that uh, the entertainment, you know, is what transcends the experience. But set and setting is key, you know, in all in all facets of life. And it really makes all the difference when you're a host. I could not agree more. So Aaron, digging a little bit more into the psychedelic side, I'd love to know what is your favorite psychedelic and why? You know, at different times in my life, I probably would have said a different thing. You know, I was a long time proponent of LSD, but then, you know, really over the last several years, um, psilocybin has really arisen in me quite literally as being, as being my real go-to. And, and there's really two different reasons, you know, and, and they're kind of weather esoteric, but the first being that, you know, LSD is, is a, is a synthesized molecule. It does have the ergot derivative that was originally the, uh, the base of its, its, of its chemical structures from the ergot. But at the same time, when you take it, um, it's a, it's a hyper amplifier, you know, so you're certainly going quickly, rapidly into an extended state of consciousness for a long period of time, but I don't feel a sense of guided presence in it as, uh, traditional curanderos and medicine practitioners from different, uh, traditions would say it doesn't have a diva. It doesn't have like an animus. Um, so you are quite often left to the amplification of your own, unconscious, super conscious, subconscious, you know, all types of consciousnesses, but you're like a lone traveler. You were like a pioneer explorer on the front of a big ship into the unknown uncharted seas at the end of a map. And you're going to get in there and hopefully you've got some good friends, good guides or something like that that can help you navigate that. But outside of that, it's kind of you. 
Um, what I've experienced a lot, though, with mushrooms, especially doing them much more uh, seriously, embodying a Mazaltec ceremonial tradition for the last many years and, uh, and, and intentionality, there is an absolute presence in the mushroom. There is a diva, there is a spirit, um, there or, or a host of gathered uh, wise uh, teachers. You know, in some traditions, they consider ayahuasca la madre, the mother. They say peyote is the stern father. Huachuma, the cactus, is the the kind uncle, and uh, mushrooms are the children. And uh, so there, there's a there's a guidance there, and it can get intense, but there's also kind of this lightness to it too, this wonder, this innocence that I find in the mushroom that's really healing. And so the last many times I've done it, um, and leading to the last time that this that made me fully decide that actually I'm gonna go to coaching, it was really quite a powerful experience where the communion and communication coming through the mushroom was like, you have done this in a way that is an integrity and you are welcome to serve in this way. And it kind of kept coming to me over in the, the duration of the entire evening. The mushrooms really become that type of expanded compound that I can trust, that I can fully trust giving to others and feel that that's in a space of healing for them. And there's a consistency with what it's working. It also works on the, you know, the um, nervous system. It's a, it's a, a, a purgative for the nervous system. So you often flush out a lot of anxiety and unease and, you know, sometimes flush it out pretty viscerally. I mean, it can be a intense. It can certainly have those dynamics that, you know, ayahuasca is well known for, but there can be some purging and things like that to happen with mushroom. But that's kind of my space. That's my go-to. And I've, 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 got, I've gotten a, a great love for it and trust in it for service. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. I've always had, like, I've always just sort of seen this dichotomy of like, you know, mushrooms when I was, um, when I was at Notre Dame, my junior year, a kid brought like three and a half pounds of mushrooms back from oh, back man. from Colorado after spring break. And it just, it took over the campus. Right? Yeah. It, it took over the entire, you know, I was kind of part of like the, I don't know, I guess like the counterculture there. And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, it just took over. And I mean, you would have, you'd go to parties and kids who didn't even drink, we're just like tripping balls and you're just like what is wow. going on here yeah and because <laughs> okay. i was like oh like let me try this right and um yeah it was and it was so wild because what the notre dame administration has no idea of is that it's essentially like a, a tripping wonderland right because i mean you got the gold dome you got all these old almost like gothic architectural styles you know what i mean you got all these right, old yeah, buildings old that are world. incredible and um <laughs> and then you've got plants that have no business being in northern indiana right you've got like japanese maples you've just got like plants from all over the world that they've just sort of forced like be on there so it's just gorgeous they've got two lakes you know with animals swans like all sorts of stuff right and and then you've got i remember going like there's like an engineering building and they just have samples of like all these different geodes and rocks and bioluminescent rocks and all kinds of stuff that's just like oh my god it's incredible but yes. i mean i remember at one point Cause you'd walk between some of these old, like the older residence halls. They of course have like new ones that were built in the last 50 years, but you know, the ones that were hundreds of years old, you could just like feel them breathing. Right. Like yeah, they're just like yeah. pulsing. And I remember at one time, like I walked through one of the quads and literally just saw this entire, it was just like a, 
you know, a huge ghost party. It was just hundreds of kids, you know, hundreds of college kids from all through the history of the school, just playing Beirut and all sorts of other <laughs> drinking games and cornhole and so like, you know, and it was just like, yeah, it was like, it was intense. Wow, a um, deep one. <laughs> yeah. And it was really interesting because I always felt like whenever we took mushrooms, I just always wanted to be outside. If I was inside doing anything, I'd just be like, fuck this. Never wanted to even like look at a television or anything like that. Um, Whereas, and, and so for me, it was something, you know, I'm a bit of an empath. And so it always felt like anytime there was someone with any type of negative vibe or something, or someone we just like didn't like, uh, if they would come around while you're on mushrooms, it would just be so painful. It would just suck so much. And you would just like instantly, you would just see the energy in the room change. And it would just be like so uncomfortable. And yeah. which was just like annoying because it was, like, yeah, you'd have this experience, but you couldn't control it, which for some people, that's the cool thing. Whereas with LSD, the same thing would happen and you just start laughing and you'd just be like, whatever, like, who cares? Like, fuck that guy. Um, and so to me, it was always like something much more controllable. But like you said, I think I definitely see the dichotomy you're talking about. It's interesting. I hadn't heard it like totally phrased that way before, but I definitely would resonate with that. Right. You are the pioneer, the explorer um, with LSD, whereas like, yeah, you're more of a child, like on mushrooms, like you're like really just like sort of experiencing it from a lower level, whereas LSD, it just sort of like frees you to be like, hey, like there's a lot more going on here. So you can figure out whatever you want to. And it's all about the depth of how deep are you willing to go into your own yeah. psyche and into different planes of consciousness and stuff. And and even that for a lot of people is just like, whoa, no, no, no. Like I'm stuck inside my head. This sucks, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And it's really uncomfortable for people. And for me, it was interesting because yeah, like mushrooms, I mean, one, like they taste terrible. Like I hate actually like eating them. So it's always like, oh, let's put these on pizza or let's grind it up and let's do this. You know, and it's just like always suck. And then your stomach kind of hurts and everything is, whereas oh, yeah. like, Whereas like LSD, it's, oh, you take a little liquid, take a tab and you're off to the races. You don't have to worry about anything. Right. Um, And then, yeah, to me, it's just such a greater clarity. I felt like, whereas mushrooms, there's almost more of like an opiate, like, like not opiate, but like opium type of effect where it's, you're just kind of swimming in it. Right. Like you're just kind of dropped down into the the ocean of consciousness. Whereas acid, I think you can do literally any human activity right and just be fine i could go to school and take a test and just be like okay cool all right done with that no big deal um whereas like mushrooms you're just like like, (laughs) you know a little more like loosey-goosey because you're really just getting into you know feeling the fractals getting down into nature and everything and um so it is yeah it is like there's such interesting dichotomies there about you know purpose and what works for different people and you know because yeah yeah, you know i've known people on both that like it just wasn't for them and i think that's one thing of like there is no real one size fits all and it is good for people to try different things and then kind of figure out like what is best for them and then what the best like tempos are and mm-hmm. how often they should be doing stuff or because there's the old like terence mckenna quote okay you know once you've you know once you got the message like hang up the phone right like yeah. once you've broken through enough for your current like 
need for development for me is just like oh okay like i now like fully inhabit and understand that i'm an immortal soul that comes from a unified field of consciousness and you know so it's just like i've just like reached a different level in my understanding and actual feeling of that that yeah. i'm like oh you know and i started practicing transcendental meditation earlier this year and excellent i've done mindfulness meditation for years i've been a yoga teacher like i've done all sorts of stuff and just searching i'm an explorer of consciousness right and so yeah. just trying to figure out like hey what else is out there what are the answers because to me it's like there are real like concrete truths like there are objective realities out there we just don't all know what they are and we need to like continue to all explore and come up with something that that sort of works and, and is the fundamental thing, right? You've got all the people that are like, oh, we're star seeds and we're aliens and we're this and we're that. And I'm like, eh, you know, I'm like, we're we're consciousness. Like we are we're immortal souls and like we have an individuated soul, we have an individuated human experience, but there's also just like a unified field that like this all emerges from. Right. And right. so for me, yeah, it's just like sort of searching out exactly like what resonates with you and then what um what you need to get there and once i started tm like the literally the first time i did it and immediately transcended and i was like I, you know i just found myself swimming in like the ocean of unbounded consciousness and was like holy shit this is <laughs> this is what i've been looking for and that i always knew in my heart existed yes but mm -hmm. i didn't ever know how I would get there and that I had realized, you know, I had seen it. Uh, I had visited there like on, you know, various psychedelics, but in terms of, you know, doing mindfulness meditation for years and like struggling even to do 10 minutes of it and just wondering like, when am I going to see, you know, when, I'm, when is this like hit a different level, yeah. right? Like when do I break through? And for TM, it was like, boom, instantaneous. It was like 30 seconds transcended. And I was like, Oh my God, like this has literally just been sitting here my whole wow. life anyone can access this at any time they just need to learn how and and to me it was just the, one of the most incredible experiences in my life and since then i'm just like oh i don't need anything else but my own mind because i know how to use it now and i know how to get you know i know how to tap into source um very quickly and and easily and you don't always get there i mean i kind of liken it a little bit to you know, the concept of like chasing the dragon with heroin. But of course, with heroin, you don't actually get the dragon. But with TM, you do. It's not going to happen every time. And to me, it's it's something where it's a practice in which you get exactly what you need every time you do it. And so yeah. the, the first time you do it, and the first time you get transcendence, that's because you just need to know that transcendence exists and what full transcendence feels like. Because then it's just, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life. I mean, like I said, I used to struggle sometimes just finding 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And yeah. just and just actually even sitting through those 10 minutes to do mindfulness meditation. And now I do 20 minutes twice a day like it's nothing. Like it's like part of the day I look forward to the most because it's like the ultimate battery recharger. Um, and you just, it, it sort of like defrags your brain right it compartmentalizes stuff it puts things like where it needs to be it's just sort of decluttering yeah, everything yeah. and you come out like so refreshed and energized and there's just like really nothing like it and i'm just like oh man i just want to spread this to the world if everyone was practicing tm this world would just if you change absolutely nothing else and everyone is practicing tm even if half the world was the shift in the collective unconscious uh would be 
so dramatic that you could feel it. And then you'd have a more peaceful world. You'd have a happier world. Um, it, it would change so much. And it's something that's freely available to everyone. And there is no struggle. Like it's in just incredibly easy, right? It's, it's all about letting go and not about concentrating or focusing or anything like that. And it essentially unleashes a latent superpower that everyone has. It's if you awesome. have a brain, you have this. It's really incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I, I've never heard. Uh, well, I've heard of, of TM, but I've never really kind of gotten a, a full uh, expounded um, you know, breakdown of what that practice can bring. And, you know, there's so many things that you just shared that are really critical kind of to consider. You know, one is that, you know, the, the LSD versus psilocybin experience, the interesting dynamic with, with psilocybin is that it, it is very much like it will give you if you take it in a in a container that you're you're hoping to actually receive healing, uh, and that's the intention behind it. It will bring forward that which is important for you to experience, like then, even if it's not what you desire to experience. Mm. So it can be extremely uncomfortable, um, and, and it can absolutely, you know, uh, hit on certain themes and threads of things that you stuffed in the closet that you perhaps weren't willing to deal with or, or wanting to. But there it is, you know, because it's it's really unpacking the different places in your body, somatic energy centers in the body that are holding on to uh, pain and trauma. It's trying to rid that out through your nervous system. So that's why so many times people experience, you know, all types of like powerful releases, some uh, profoundly healing and transformative, other ones that are like really debilitating and heavy. Um, and it's and it's hard to know what you're going to get, you know, and you could take sometimes three grams or four and you're just flying and coasting around. You could take one, you think you're going to have a, a nice light trip and it'll bring you right into the, the center nucleus, you know, so it's really intense, you know, and, and you know, LSD is, is an excellent means to really just expanding states of consciousness without parameter without i guess uh the medicines the medicine agenda is 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 not like it doesn't have an agenda for you you know like mushrooms have an agenda for you ayahuasca has an agenda for you like you're you're going to go into that mother has something to tell you mother has something mm. to show you you know like so so you you bring in what you want and she brings in what she wants and then then there's a relationship that's developed there mushrooms like that a lot of the first generation plant-based medicines are very much like that Iboga, I've never had that before, but I've heard that that is very much like that, that like Iboga is a, is a serious teacher. Um, you know, you go into, but LSD, no, you, you carry what you're going to carry. You're going to amplify what you're going to amplify. Um, if you are in a place of agitation, it can get extremely intense. You know, I've had, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where I stepped in where I was, you know, contemplating on my father who almost passed away two days before. And my gosh, I got hit with his entire lineage. And what does the male of a father figure mean to me and and what are all the fa fathers that have been my family mean for generations and you know it went super deep and uh not exactly comfortable but it was important for me to to realize but that's kind of like how that thing works um but you know the hanging up the phone i think that's really important for people to navigate what feels right and aligned for them what practice brings them most peace most joy most balance and and also not only within their own psyche, but how does that express in your action? You know, if something is really bringing forward a great sense of balance and inner peace, do you carry that forward in your relationships? You carry that forward in how you deal with people that you don't know, or, you know, interactions with strangers, interactions with leadership and bosses, interaction with children. You know, if it's really something that is bringing deep, grounded, centered healing, then it show, should show up in all expression. And it should be kind of like an inner compass that then guides you into just really 
being more mindful and being more gracious uh, and, gr and, and grateful of the life experience. You know, if you catalyze uh, a sense of deep transcendent awareness, then typically that actually humbles you. It's like, wow, I am a, a fragment, uh, like a, a little spark of this incredible tapestry of life and expansion. And now I have this great opportunity to just be here and, and do my thing. And whether that's like going out to see a movie or, or going into the deepest ceremony of your life, it's all, it's all a blessing. It's all gratitude, you know? So, um, yeah. So I appreciate you sharing me that reflection Pacifico, because that's a whole different pathway that I'm not familiar with, but from my own work with Kabbalah and meditation and emanation of divine names, that has always been my way to attune to divine in a very similar way where I feel fully at home. I feel expanded. I feel in that place of of interconnection and uh, and then it's expressed through the way I act and relate to people. Oh, totally. Yeah, it's definitely uh definitely a wild journey for sure and and to find something that you just knew, right? You just knew existed and you didn't you didn't know exactly what it would feel like, but practicing mindfulness meditation for years, I was like there's something missing. And right. then literally 30 seconds into TM like I'm like at the bottom of the ocean, I'm like, "Oh, here it is." <laughs> like this is it I'm yes. like, that's crazy and you know because uh for so long you're just like oh i'm never gonna find it or i can only you know i've got to use like dmt or some other sort of <laughs> weapons grade hallucinogen or something to really snap you out and, yeah, and yeah. show you what's what and yeah it's really fascinating and like you said like in terms of i that's why i think lsd actually is really a great therapist because it's not there to hit you over the head with a lesson it's a great way to do shadow work but that can be really difficult for people to do but it's like hey do you want to clean out the darkest corners of your mind well here's a really great way to explore the entire architecture right uh -huh, and because uh -huh. i yeah. always think of it like Whenever I'm on it, I always just sort of think of like everything in your brain being in a physical location that it can't actually hold in the size of your brain. And so that your head is just like <laughs> expanding up infinitely towards the sky and you're just sort of wandering through the attic of your mind and just kind of, you know, dusting out the cobwebs and you're like, oh, OK, like let's this is, you know, challenging or I shouldn't act this way towards people or I want to be better uh -huh, in this. Uh -huh. And then you can sit and look in the mirror and be like, hey, are you really willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? And I mean, I think even looking in the mirror right. is, a, is a really powerful thing. I mean, because they've always said the eyes are, are the window to the soul and I think that's really true. And, and but one thing that's really always struck me is you can't look in both of your eyes at the same time, right? Like not right, really, right. Right, not really deeply. Right. And so and then what I've always found is like different masculine and feminine energies in each of them. And then just sort of staring into a single eye and and speaking to it and and seeing like the depths and, and what's inside there. I think it's such a powerful exercise to sort oh, of yeah parse out exactly like oh like okay like what's going on in here like what what is this eye seen and what is it sort of carrying with it versus the other one right it's, it's really uh -huh. fascinating yeah yeah that is super interesting i, I i've <laughs> you're you're bringing forward a lot of really intriguing practices that are are you know, I see, I could see a lot of value in, and, you know, I, I like that idea though, the expanded head to, to, to kind of clear out the cobwebs. Yeah. Because you just have so much more uh, periphery of, of consciousness within the self and, and freedom and mobility to kind of go back so many different memories that have been overshadowed or connective points. Sometimes on LSD, I would see really almost how every single choice that I made for like a year 
would come to my moment of actually taking that tab. It's like, if I didn't say take to the left over there and say, hey, to my friend over there and three months ago, like have this experience over here and decide to pick it up over here. It's like it shows you these threats that have just like consequence of, of cause and effect across like long, long trajectories. And then you you really get a sense of um, the, the deeper reason, the deeper meaning behind a lot of the actions you carry. And then you could actually say, was that resonant? You know, was that really aligned or, you know, it did bring me to where I am. You can accept that it was necessary, but it also leaves you a lot more intentional and a lot more mindful about how you're going to choose what you choose because every single action has a has a response reaction and it, and it gives you this really unique ability to actually see that and on a long thread of trajectory for me. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and for me, like you're mentioned like the attic side of things and think about it more, I kind of see the body is essentially the ground floor and your brain is the second floor, but there is an attic, right? And there is a like, whether it's a basement or really, I just think it's like the, the water table under, you know, it's like the ocean beneath the surface. And that's like where all consciousness arises from. Huh. And that our body, if you've ever read the book, the body keeps the score. It really just talks about everything that you feel in your body was essentially created by your mind. Um, and it's difficult to address that with people because a lot of people, when you're like, hey, it's all in your head like they find it insulting or like that they don't really have a problem. And it's like, no, you do have a problem, but like you're actually causing it or you're actually making it worse. Right. Like, yeah, maybe there's some bacteria or fungus or some other thing, some disease that right. caused some issue in your body. But there's also just a lot of things in your head, just like stress, anxiety, depression, all of those things show up in your body. If you do not get rid of them properly. And I mean, like, right. that's why just at a fundamental level, like exercise, works right it's just like it gets that energy out that's why sex works um all of those things that you can do with your body to release you know all of those positive or especially toxic energies in a constructive way like that is it relieves your brain right because you're you're trying you know you think of how small your brain is in comparison to your body and so your brain can't handle all that shit. So your brain's like, hey, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to make your knee hurt. I'm going to make your lower back hurt. Let's put this somewhere else because I have other shit to do. <laughs> right. I'm trying to run the show here and fuck you for not dealing with your shit. But like now you're going to have a limp or now you know, <laughs> like now yeah. I'm going to pull this muscle because like you need to pay attention to some shit and and yep. you're not sit your ass so. down and think about it right yep. and then to me it's like then when you take different psychedelics or you reach different meditative states you can either go up into the attic or down into the ocean right and so to me it's huh, like yeah. you know tm brings me down in the ocean you know where where you're just yeah all totally you know everything is one and then with something like lsd unless yeah you're taking like a god dose or something and you basically end up in outer space which is like a reflection of the ocean in some ways right and you're just totally dematerialized as an individual yeah you know for the most part <laughs> if you're in that in-between space you get to walk around in the attic of your mind and you just kind of be like oh okay oh here's all these old like childhood memories or here's these like repressed memories and i mean i think like dmt and stuff does that as well yep. it's just like oh here let me uncork your brain and help you remember a bunch of stuff that happened to you that your brain didn't even put in your body your brain just like shut down completely and like just completely turned off right right right, right. yeah yeah 
Yeah, there's no doubt, man. There's no doubt. And, and you know, I, ultimately, I, as you say, it really is finding a medicine that aligns with you, with your intentions, with your tradition. You know, DMT, you had mentioned, you know, that is the rocket blaster of the antiogens. I mean, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, but eternity might as well be. You right. know, it's so intense. It's so overwhelming. Uh, and it's such a, qu a quick, um, uh, immediate shift of, of awareness that, you know, is all encompassing. Um, that yeah, time, space, all logic, all that kind of stuff just kind of goes right out the window. And for some people, it can be healing. I know that they're looking a lot in, in medical research currently right now. A lot of the psychedelic research because it is something that is uh, rather uh, a small time frame, uh, able to be done and ingested in a way that's non-invasive. And you know, you could create a container for around. You know, someone could have a full-blown DMT experience with prep and integration in an hour and a half. You can't do that with LSD, you know, like, I mean, right. they're, they're working on compounds, but you better have a long night ahead of you. And, uh, you know, a lot of people on hand, if you're going to be actually doing some therapy work, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. and mushrooms are somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of like different, different benefits to the different antigens that type upon different aspects of those different consciousness states that, that are meaningful and healing, uh, depending on what you're really going for, you know? And I, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't taken the frog five MEO yet. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm going to, it's actually one of them that brings me a little bit of a weariness because of the dramatic way it brings you into unity consciousness immediately and it's complete rebirthing experience. It's the only psychedelic that actually has had people have complete congestive heart failure because they could not deal with the realizations that were occurring. They were too overwhelming, you know, so it's a, it's an interesting one, but you know, there's, there's something for everybody out there. And I think what is really important to keep in mind that is that if, if you feel repressed in your ability to connect with the world and the cosmos around you, and you feel that there are pathways that you're being of healing or understanding that you're not having an opportunity to uh, experience or find expression in, you know, and that's and that deep seeking is inside of you. Well, then it might be time for a rites of passage. It might be time to step into a ceremony or learn a significant practice to bring you into that space of understanding and communion. Because we we all are essentially spiritual beings, as you say, having a a, a manifested experience and a container. Uh, you know, so if our point of reference is calling us, calling us, calling us back to that recognition of our eternal nature um you know there's only uh, certain amounts of pathways that can bring you there and um that's kind of what i think a lot of people are feeling now with this renaissance that's it's really blossoming now and and resurgence of mindful practice and the importance of mental health is that we, we you know we need to feel that connection we we have to restore our inherent right to be a part of something greater than ourselves and and that's what these medicines are really special uh for for trying to activate within our being Oh, I couldn't agree more. And it is really fascinating to me too to just see the obviously we've, a lot of this stuff has just been suppressed by governments for years and years and years because it's gonna start yeah. making people ask a lot of questions like, wait a minute, why do we have to do this this way? Oh yeah, you know, there it's the ultimate sort of authority question machine, right? You know, there was a study recently came out that was like. 65% of people don't think that psychedelics have medicinal uses. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I don't even think 35% of people have like done psychedelics, right? And it was definitely <laughs> right. below that. So I'm like, okay. So pretty much everyone who's done it and a few people who don't, who have not know the truth. And then everyone else, it's just like sheer ignorance. And, and to me, I also always look to things like, I mean, on the one hand, I definitely subscribe to the Carl Sagan notion 
if you want to cook from scratch, you first you have to create the universe, right? So to a large extent, I actually don't believe in the synthetic natural dichotomy because we've never created an element. We've just worked with what exists, right? And so even taking something like an ergot fungus and making ergotamine tartrate and turning it into LSD, that's still, to me, that's no different than a bee making honey, right? We just don't, you know, we just use some of our faculties and we created a thing. Um, on the other hand, I do think it's fascinating to look around at the, the things that do just grow naturally in the world. And the one I think that is most bonkers is salvia because, which is the, you know, the strongest natural hallucinogen in the world. And that is something, I mean, I think it's a good DMT prepper because DMT is much kinder. Uh, whereas, you know, salvia is like a, an incredibly traumatic experience even once you've done it a lot, right? Because you're essentially witnessing the fabric of reality rip apart and then show you different dimensions, different realities, the multiverse. I mean, who knows what any of it is, but in a way that is more real than anything you have experienced in real life, right? You just, you know, I'd have experiences where the world would rip apart, put itself back together, and then it would be like, oh, everyone has snake tongues now and then i always found it interesting because you everyone invariably starts to freak the fuck out because it's like a lucid dream where you don't know you're dreaming that you're just like oh wait a minute i'm now in the real reality you start freaking out and then generally everyone you're with starts laughing and i find it really fascinating because to me i always would internalize the laughter as everyone being in on what the real reality is and i'm now experiencing it for the first time right they're like oh (laughs) that's that's creepy you know like oh (laughs) stupid pacifico didn't know we all had snake tongues like what a fucking idiot right and you're just like oh my god my whole life has been a lie right or there was one where we were all vampires or one where everyone was like a potted plant right but it's like it's (laughs) so viscerally real that you're like wait, we've all been sunflowers in terracotta like pots this whole time? Why didn't you tell me? You know, and everyone's just like laughing their asses off and you just think it's like, oh, like I'm the fucking idiot here. And then it all disappears. And then the fabric of reality literally stitches itself back together. And it's just, wow. I mean, it's violent, (laughs) right? It's just like, hey, everything you thought you knew is a lie. But I always go back to, why is this here right right why does this thing grow on earth and to me it's just like ayahuasca or something it's just to make you remember that this is not the end all be all this is not all there is right Right. but if you haven't seen that of course you'll believe some bs from like an organized religion that's just gatekeeping something from you right which is why i always look to the oldest things we have in the world which is a lot of like Hindu and Indian culture, like even predating, you know, recorded written history, predating writing, you know, like that's where the essence of like TM comes from, right? It like derives from traditions that are, you know, older than modern civilization that to me is like always closer to source, just as like in modern days, like the closest thing we have to source is children. That's why children come out with xenoglossy when they can speak foreign languages they've never been exposed to from birth. 
or they have memories of past lives and things like that. That's closer to source. And so mm -hmm. I think finding things like that, where there's no trappings of modern society and cultural programming and everything like that, because all of our cultural programming is essentially meant to lead us away from remembering who we are and just thinking it's just a bunch of materialists trying to control things that are like, hey, this is all there is. So go and buy your Nikes and your McDonald's and, you know, be a good little girl and boy and like get in line and shut the fuck up. Right? But it's like <laughs> yeah. now we're seeing, I mean, hell, we now have multiple cities and we're soon to have states with broad decriminalization of a variety of psychedelics and cannabis is still on the you know schedule one at a federal level it's just bonkers to me oh, to like still dang. haven't turned that corner and meanwhile like cities and states are just like uh fuck this like we're going full bore laboratories of democracy like we're making this shit happen like we'll see you later right, right. and it's it's going to be interesting to see like how those two things evolve because i mean by 2030 mushrooms are going to be legal nationwide or at least decriminalized nationwide, you're probably gonna have other ones. I'm amazed that like, Iboga, since that's probably the most like dangerous one physically, I think. Um, yeah, I'm that surprised too. that that's really gotten more play, that they're like, yeah, let's do this. But it's like, okay, obviously they have a lot of really important uh, beneficial effects. Yeah. Uh, I'm just surprised when there's, I mean, LSD is safer. Mushrooms are definitely safer. Peyote is safer. Ayahuasca is safer. So it's interesting that they showed up on a list. They're like, yeah, let's do this. But it is hugely important for getting people off of opiates and stuff. So I think that is is, is also really important. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's a really awesome point that you're bringing forward is that, you know, the structure, the reasoning behind the suppression of consciousness, the war on drugs, you know, that's a that's essentially a war on black and brown people. And it's a war on consciousness, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, flat out is because if people start perceiving that they are not subject to the limitations that has been socially impressed upon us and the and the moral and ethical code that has been socially impressed upon us and that there is an inherent way of self-discovery to be tapped into a deeper and higher code of human value and a deeper and higher code of symbiotic living with people around us without so much enforced control, which really doesn't work anyway, uh, you know, is, is, you know, and they always say, oh man, if everyone is on psychedelics, you know, the world would be crazy. We'd be killing each other. We're killing each other now. Like we, we're destroying everything now. What, what, what crazier are you talking about? You know, in fact, if you put give people a bunch of plant medicines, they will actually realize that, wow, these plants that are providing us with insights that are so deep, so profound, give so much potential, maybe we should take care of them. Maybe we should take care of this world that gives us, you know, at every turn, uh, the, the natural medicines that fuel every aspect of our life in, in wellness and in wholeness and fullness. You know, it, it's such an interesting thing. But of course, that is the truth. But the repression of consciousness is that then we recognize we don't need control. We don't need dogmatic tradition, religion. We don't need really bureaucratic political systems. We don't need really restrictive laws that kind of self-impose power and, and prejudice on you. None of that is actually necessary. What's necessary is actually living from a place of presence upon which you understand your connection with yourself, with your family, with your community, with the world around you, your, in, your impact, your interdependence, and then you live in alignment with ensuring that that's taken care of. Why? Because it is you. 
Those people are you. The, the world is you. You're not going to beat yourself up every day and, and light yourself a fire. No, because, you know, you love you, don't you? Or you want to preserve you. Well, that's the thing. We are all that. So if we let everybody know that we're all that, then what is the reason or meaning for all these ridiculous structures? You know, so it, it's really an interesting a setup and, and now that there's going to be momentum on the city on the state level you know the byproduct of psychedelics uh is you know they're going for it for mental health now and they're going for it for like healing on a small scale but once it gets community-based and once it really starts spreading into a phenomena that is tapping into large thresholds of people then we're going to see complete shifts in paradigms of how we decide to actually manage and and inter and, and like interchange with one another on every scale from business to economic you know business and economics to politics to spirituality um, to community development it's it's all going to shift because then you know you're operating from a space of togetherness uh, from a, 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 away from a society that's super hyper individualized and mm -hmm. and 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 built on uh, you know a me first everyone else afterward when it there is no me first it's an absolute illusion you know so uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes but that's why i'm choosing now to step into a place in a pioneering position where we're still in this gray area and you know putting myself out there a little bit i understand there's there's risks associated with being in this position as a as a person with three daughters and a family and a thriving mm -hmm. career for many years yet i deeply believe that you need to have people that are well anchored into that understanding of expansive states of consciousness so that when the throngs come and they will be coming, that they understand how to be in that space integrally. And they understand that it can be assimilated into a lifestyle that gives great value and has great, you know, uh, great growth uh, in, in person and community from experiencing these types of plants. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And if this show had a motto, it would probably be, it doesn't have to be this way, right? <laughs> I talked to a lot of people about you're born into this society and you just think, oh, okay, this is what it is. And I think it's very important just a mental practice of accepting the present because you can't change the present, um, but understanding what the dynamics are and why they are what they are. And it's like, well, it isn't just like a natural order of the world. The United States had to use chattel slavery to build this country. And then we have to have this like hyper rugged individualist nonsense bullshit. We've been a communal species forever. That's how we got here. Yep. Right. And then we just have had this 20th century myth of the individual. And it's like, um, no, like you just had a bunch of black people you enslaved that built everything for you like you mr plantation owner did not like build this country yeah. right but it's just like we right. white white people just build up these myths that like oh it was you know rockefeller or carnegie you know it's like all these like titans of industry or something that did it all on their own it's like they weren't like making their widgets they weren't doing all this shit they're doing it on like the backs of exploitation and mm -hmm. so i think people really are not totally hip to the fact that like hey this is just all the result of a series of decisions mostly by a bunch of white dudes for centuries and like it actually doesn't have to be this way our government doesn't have to be structured the way it is our economy doesn't have to be structured the way it is like there's an infinite number of possibilities and different ways of doing things, but we just get locked into this Democrat versus Republican. Oh, every, you know, anyone left of center is a socialist. And it's like, 
literally no one is calling virtually no one. I mean, there's so little actual socialists in this country or actual communists. Like no one on the left by and large is calling for the abolishment of the state. No one is calling for (laughs) workers to seize the means of uh, production. Right. It's like people talk about UBI as socialist and I, I term it as a guillotine preventative device. Right. It's like (laughs) UBI is a way to save capitalism. It's not handing over the means of production. It's handing money to people so that they don't seize the means of production. It's a bribe. And if you don't understand, if you think that's socialist, you have no idea what you're talking about and you're not worth being involved in this conversation. But it's really crazy because everything in this country is so twisted that our left in this country is like right of center in most of Europe. We're not even hitting table stakes on most of the left cannot even get on board, you know, with actual policies of the global left. We're staging coups or deposing leaders in South America and other places that we're able to that are actually like, oh, hey, we're going to actually take care of people. We're going to nationalize the farms and give it back to the workers. And then they're just like, oh, no, we can't have this. Like, we got to set up a banana republic. And this is bonkers. And it's so hard because our entire consumer and media ecosystem is built around suppressing knowledge of how shitty we are to the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult, man. And and that's why I always said that it's not going to be a revolution that's going to change things. It's, a, it's an involution. It essentially has to come from the awareness that's coming from within us that this is actually non-resonant and aligned with how we interrelate with the world around us. But then it has to have such a momentum and magnitude that it requires a critical mass to make a real powerful shift and, and essentially shift in our consciousness. I think psychedelics are assisting in that process. It's priming people or guiding them in that direction. I feel that meditation techniques, you know, as you're saying, transcendental meditation and, and different uh, technologies of uh, holotropic breathing or different ways that are allowing people to also uh, experience expanded states of consciousness, rites of passage, vision quests. These are all things that are bringing you to that stillness of, oh, wait, okay, if everything else falls away that uh, is historically based, that is that I, that everyone told me absolutely has to be there for this world to work and it's all gone and I'm still here, I'm still whole, I'm still connected, I'm still empowered. Oh, okay. Then I know it's not just theory anymore. It's not philosophy and a good conversation over, you know, a spliff or a cup of Joe that this is the way it is. It's like, you know, in your body that this is actually different than, I mean, you can live in a different way than the structures that are at B. And, and so that has to happen as an initiation, as an initiation of awareness that comes through experience in order for it to really be a new paradigm that people can uh, viscerally embody and, and carry forward. So I'm all about for creating initiations, rites of passage. I'm all about reconnecting people to something greater so then that they can return to the day-to-day with a whole different type of framework or perspective for how to make positive change. Mm. Oh, I love that. So Aaron, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? Favorite failure, man. I talked about it a little bit on the front end. My biggest first, I guess, failure is like I handed in a 65-page thesis. I went to a festival, then a week later, I never touched it again. So that was a 
two, two years of intensive research into Latin American 17th century missionary relationships. And God knows it was the saddest story I've ever read in my life. I was a lot of work and maybe having that um, master's degree next to my name might have given me a little bit more uh, agency. I'm not, it's hard to say, but you know what? That's a, that's a failure that I, I left that behind, but it opened up a pathway to more opportunity in my life. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I, when I got to the end of my producing career, I don't consider it a full end, but when COVID began, I was just in the process of releasing the 50th Leaf Festivals, a festival here at Nashville, North Carolina that I was producing for years. Um, I'd have done 13 of them, and this would have been the 50th one. And I had a full lineup release and uh, and everything was all systems go. And we released uh, and we were, on a, we were on the pace to sell out two months in advance. And then, you know, COVID-19 came and and that swept it right out. That was gone. The whole fest was gone. I tried to push it back six months um, to the next phase and it was gone. You know, like there was just no gatherings to be had in that level. And for a, a time for me, um, that was really crippling because I had become so in, in, immersed in, in producing events that I, it was almost like that was who I am. I am Aaron, the uh, transformative event producer. And so um, when that was all gone and I could not touch events, um, I, I, it gave me a little bit of a depression. I, I was a little bit lost for, uh, for a while there. But what I recognized, again, thank you to the mushrooms, uh, is that um, it had helped me to perceive the situation through several different lateral contexts and was like, no, the events was a filter. The events was a, as a container, as we shared earlier, for you to be able to express your gift. And that is creating opportunities for people to transform and grow. And you use that filter of creativity. That was your creativity lens. So when you use that creativity lens, um, that was something special for people to be able to have that type of opening liberated experience, you know, cause I was like, I think my career is over. And if my career is over, I don't have, I've been doing this for so long that uh, unless I'm doing something creative, someone's going to look at my resume and be like, okay, he throws great parties, you know, like, so I had to really come to terms with like, no, that was my filter. What is my actual gift? is the ability to create opportunities for people to transform with intention that I bring into their an awareness, an emanation I hold to that is already on the other side of that bridge that can welcome people to that space of perception. So that's when I was like, okay, how about a coach? How about doing it intimately with retreats, with, with one-on-ones, with, with, you know, workshops, with facilitation, things that I love. I love to speak. I love to share and I love to create unique experiences. So that's kind of like, I, I thought that my career was over. I thought that I had my one dream job and it was such a beautiful opportunity to create every time, every something I wanted from nothing. You know, it was a dream job and it was gone. I thought I lost almost everything. You know, I got, I lost my job that I was a part of a producer. All my, a lot of those connections had gone away as a lot of people had moved on. Uh, but no, I didn't actually. In fact, it helped to clarify that I, I am who I am. I carry what I carry. It is what filter I choose to use that makes that experience special for other people. So now I'm using the filter of a coach. You know, I'm using a filter of ceremonialist that brings rites of passage. And that is actually something that's older to me. That's like that, that, that's something I've been doing longer. So it's kind of reinvigorated that path for me. And it's been a great lesson, you know, all around. Oh, fantastic. So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? One to three books. Let me think. Uh, you know, I really like um, the books by Paul Selig. 
Um, yeah. His first book is I Am The Word, and then he has the Book of Mastery, Book of Freedom, Book of Truth. Um, they are channeled texts. And, you know, typically I'm not very big on the um, disassociative channel. I've never been in a person that's been like, I am now calling in Ascended Master Serapis Bay, and someone's voice changes, and here comes Serapis Bay. Like, I I've never really been big on that. But Paul, I mean, I don't know who or what he is tapping into, but it is the most eloquent and clear claiming of uh, of of personal truth, of personal connection to source that I've ever, ever encountered. Um, so I think that is really a powerful, uh, a powerful series. Uh, Paul Selig, uh, another uh, really uh, awesome book that I love as a ceremonial Kabbalist is the work by Dion Fortune called The Mystical Kabbalah. And she's one of the first that had the demystified the ancient um, uh, Kabbalistic uh, tree of life, the Sephiroth, 10 Sephiroth tree of life in a way that is actually comprehensible. I mean, it was so esoteric and you had to know tons of Hebrew and, and know all of these different correlations like gematria and, and, and num numerology and all these things to make any sense of that system. But she broke it down in, uh, in a very kind of short book about how these different emanations of consciousness, each different Sephiroth connect to one another and why that is um, both a roadmap of personal evolutionary consciousness and creation you know so going upward in the tree you're growing in more deeper awareness of what you're connected to coming down for the tree is the point of origin and the manifestation of all things all the way down for the masculine feminine the force the form all the way down to manifestation malkuth the earth that we're walking on right now so i think that's a really awesome book it was written in the 30s and still i think it's an untouchable compendium for understanding the mystical kabbalah if people are in interested in those ancient western mystical traditions and the last one i'm going to go with uh, a recent are um he is a medicine practitioner and um, a shaman, he, he takes the, the term shaman, which I'm not very much a fan on. It's an ancient name that was used up in, um, I want to say, uh, like Mongolia area or something like that. It, it, but it's a very specific indigenous lineage, uses shaman. Now it's kind of like homogenized and, it, and it's kind of bastardized in a lot of way. But in any case, this, this particular person, his name is Luhan Matus, who lives in um, Bali, Indonesia. And his book is called The Art of Stalking Parallel Perception. And it is a really, really deep book, but it's essentially about how you have uh, uh, an ability in your life to project uh, your fears as uh, a dominant lens uh, to uh, which to interface the world. And actually a lot of contemporary society is very fear-based culture. Don't do this because you're not safe. You know, make sure you arm your whole family in case something happens. Go out there and, you know, but don't stretch out far before you get lost or taken. You know, like it's a lot of fear and paranoia. And, and what that happens is it, it, it kind of cycles into your psyche and you project it out. And then you almost live in this dim lens that is based on fear as opposed to based on connection. So he just really breaks down how that phenomena transpires. So quite often, the, uh, it's associated, a lot of indigenous cultures call it the, the wetigo, you know, which is, uh, it's like a virus of the mind, almost, of the psyche. And he breaks down how that phenomena tra actually transpires, and then how to utilize different steps of reclamation and practice to then uh, revert back to 
understanding the fear dynamic is there and the, the separation perception is there, but working from that alternative lens of unity, connection, and and uh, and cohesiveness. So it's heady, though. I mean, if people want to go super deep into different esoteric shamanism, I would say Luhan Matus's work, The Art of Stalking, Parallel Perceptions, will bring you right there. That sounds so dope. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out. Great. Awesome. Well, Aaron, this has been such a fun and fascinating conversation. And that brings me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? The kindest thing? Man, that's a great question. Huh. You know what? Um, I've had a lot of kindness in my life, a lot of opportunities, a lot of things brought forward, but, um, I have to say, and, and this is the reason why I chose, I was going to marry her when I had that critical mind melting world obliterating experience on the festival floor. And a thousand people decided to look at me as, because I was a, a more significant spectacle than Umphrey's McGee on the stage. Um, <laughs> uh, it was my wife that held me that whole time like held the guy that everyone else thought was either losing his mind, finding Christ or something in between, you know, supernovaing. And she sat there and she held me that whole time, stroking my hair, looking in my eyes, letting me know I'm still a person for, I don't know, six, eight hours. I, I mean, I, I, I almost made a crater in that, in that hillside, you know? And so that was infathomable kindness. I mean, when I came out of that experience on the other side, um, I knew that that was the person I want to marry. You know, we've been together for a year and that was one of the deeper experiences that we've had up to that point, the deepest up to that point. But all I could say is if someone can hold me like that, where I am at the most fragile of a, of a being that I've ever been in my life and come out the other side and tell me that I'm okay and she's willing to uh, bring me back to to health and, 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 and you know, guide me back to, to who I am. Um, that's it. That's a person that's for me for damn sure. So that, I think that was an amazing expression of kindness that I hold in my heart to this day. Wow. That is powerful. It's yeah. one of my favorite answers I've gotten. And I appreciate the Umphreys McGee reference. That's uh, <laughs> it's an old, uh, those are Notre Dame guys. Uh, I discovered them there. They, they were a few years ahead of me. Um, but I've probably seen them more than any other artist because of it. Cause they would always play shows in and around Notre Dame, no matter what. Oh, so. That's awesome. Long live the umph. Cool. I'm down with them forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Aaron. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to speak with you. Uh, it's my pleasure as well, Pacifico. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, anytime. Love to have you back. I love that. Thank you. Indeed. Today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, making unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Visit ProsperitasAgency.com today to learn more. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yes.